This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. Hey, I'm Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hi, Scott. How you doing? Good. Excellent. How about you? Oh, just fine. Great. Just fine. I'm. Uh, I've got a um, small hill worth of audiobooks to talk about this week. Let's climb up. All right, let's do it. All right, first, now I haven't seen her in audio before, Cage Baker. Actually, um, I take that back. She has an audiobook on Subterranean, doesn't she? Um, but yeah, this that's is right. this is the first company novel out on audio from Blackstone. It's called In the Garden of Eden or Iden. Uh, the the word is spelled I D E N. A Novel of the Company by Cage Baker, read by Janan Rauf, and unabridged, of course. Um, Cool-looking cover on it. Yeah. The first novel of this critically acclaimed, much-loved series introduces us to a world where the future of commerce is the past. In the 24th century, the company preserves works of art and extinct forms of life for profit, of course. It recruits orphans from the past, renders them all but immortal, and trains them to serve the company. Dr. Zeus Incorporated. One of those is Men- one of these is Mendoza, the botanist. She is sent to Elizabethan England to collect samples from the garden of Sir Walter Iden. But while there, she meets Nicholas Harpole, with whom she falls in love. And that love sounds great bells of change which echo down through the centuries and through the succeeding novels of the company. Hmm. I have never read a company novel. I've never heard I of know, the series, I mean, but... I know they're popular, it's, yeah. It sounds like a reverse uh, reverse version of uh, a short story by fellow Dick called Captive Market, mm-hmm. which is about a lady who uh, has a time machine, and she uses it to sell uh, household goods at exorbitant prices to people in disasters in in uh, other times. Mm-hmm. So it's it's instead of going and taking things to uh, other times, it's getting things from other times. Cool. Which is... Yeah, sounds all right. Yep, I've never good. heard of Jan- Janan Rauf, though. No, I haven't either. Uh, is that a male or female name? I don't know. Okay, let's. I do not know. All right. Uh, only one. Bo- only one audiobook uh, read by Janan Rauf. Uh huh. On uh, Blackstone. Okay. Well, they've been. I mean, they're. They've got such great narrators. I don't know they that do. they. I, yeah. I don't think they've got a bad one. Right. I don't think I've ever heard a bad. Blackstone narrator. Mm-hmm. I know uh, sometimes they're not right for a book. I think I think that's possible. You find somebody who's not a perfect match for the book, but usually it's not a bad narrator. It's just a a bad match. Mm. But uh, I don't re- remember a specific example of that. All right. Okay. Next we have also from Blackstone two Heinlein novels. Mm. Um, one's an older one called Time for the Stars. Um, it is uh, read by Barrett Whitener. Travel to other planets is now a reality, and with overpopulation stretching the resources of Earth, the necessity of finding habitable wards, worlds is growing ever more urgent. There's a problem, though. Because the spaceships are slower than light, any communication between ships and Earth would take years. Identical twin teenagers Tom and Pat have always been close, so close that it seemed like they could read each other's minds. 
When they are recruited by the Long Range Foundation, the twins find out that they can, indeed, peer into each other's thoughts. Along with other telepathic duos, they are enlisted to be the human transmitters that will keep the ships in contact with Earth. But there's a catch. One of them has to stay behind and grow old, while the other explores the depths of space and returns still a young man. So this is showing copyright 1956 by Robert A. Heinlein. I've read it um, yeah. maybe 20 years ago, and mm-hmm. I remember enjoying it. Um, Heinlein's always good. It's a juvenile. Okay. Uh, uh, I think there's a, a similar Robert Silverberg story um, with twins. Uh, twin. It's basically the twin um, Einstein's twin paradox. You know, you send people out on a faster-than-light ship, and they have... Uh, one of them ages and the other one, uh, well, they both age, but one ages very quickly compared to the other. When they meet again, um, one's an old man and the other one's just a few years older. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's, uh, there's a Silverberg novel that's similar in that it has twins and, and one stays and one leaves. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, that should be good. Barrett yep. Whitener, I've heard in other stuff, and he's, okay. he's a good narrator. Great. Now, this next one is um, For Us, The Living, which is the novel that they published. This is the found novel. It says it's the, uh, let's see. It's the last I hope I'm not wrong here. Yeah, this is the long-lost first novel written in 1939 and not published until 2004. Mm-hmm. So, um, July 12, 1939, Perry Nelson is driving along the Palisades when suddenly his car careens off the road and over a bluff. The last thing he sees before his head connects with the boulders below is a girl in a green bathing suit, prancing along the shore. He awakens in a strange snowy mountain landscape, the girl, now a fur-clad woman. She rescues Perry from the bitter cold and soon reveals that the year is 2086. After his shock subsides, Perry explores how the world has changed over 150 years, learning how humanity has advanced in technology and intellect. But the education brings with it inescapable truths, and the new customs continually test Perry's mental and emotional resolve. Yet it is precisely his knowledge of a bygone era that will serve him best, as he unexpectedly leads his peers toward a new horizon they had never imagined. It says, um, there's a little subtitle here. It says, For Us the Living, A Comedy of Customs. It's read by Malcolm Hillgardner. Uh, I don't know that narrator, but um, I remember uh, when this book was coming out. In, was it 2004, you said? Yeah, that's what it that says. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 we ended up selling a whole bunch of them uh, online. Um, and that was, that was pretty interesting, but I actually never read it. Um, it sounded like it was more interesting than than good, but now that there's been some time passing, we can like look at what the reviews say. On Amazon, uh, there's 66 reviews and it's getting four and a half stars. So it wow. it's not horrifying. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Well, it's got a you know a definite historical interest. Yeah. You know, so for a Heinlein fan to have a new Heinlein novel was you know that was probably pretty good pretty great yeah it was it, it was very exciting because there's there's all sorts of you know books that hadn't been published in a while or books that were hard to find but there wasn't anything that nobody had actually seen before yeah and um not too long ago uh spider robinson didn't he complete one of heinlein's right. novels 
What was variable that called star, again? That's it, variable star. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that one. Um, uh, I Spider read Robinson that. read that. Yeah. He, he narrated um, he it. He does the introduction in the the paper book of For Us the Living. Okay. And it's got a great cover on the um, on the original uh, the original cover. It's got like a V two rocket and a dude dude's head and <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess the mysterious woman. But um, what's on the cover of the uh, audiobook? Um, it is yeah. There's a, a man and a woman on the front and. You know, uh, I don't know how to describe it. There's these vertical bars on each that were like they're almost kind of melding so, into yeah, each other. Cover, yeah. Cover. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, that that'd be an experiment, I think. How, having read basically every Heinlein novel, I think I've read ever except for <laughs> except for those two that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two I haven't read. Um, those would be experiments because. Uh, I didn't really love Heinlein's early short stories. I think some of them are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, he sort of really, he had a long, good run. But his later stuff, ooh, very hard to read. Um, I think the last one I liked that he wrote was Friday. Mm. I think the other ones since then. Since yeah, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not nearly as well read with Heinlein. I, I've read so, just a few. Uh, okay, and there's mm-hmm. also a... Um, uh, a comedy of customs is a subtitle I, I hadn't heard before. Oh yeah, I guess I had heard it before, but um, it reminds me that one of them is called one of his books is called Job: A Comedy of Justice. Yeah, um, yeah, and I've read that one, which is uh, it's not great. Mm-hmm. It's o- it's okay. Yep. I don't know. All right. <laughs> well, oh. that that first one, Time for the Stars, was a juvenile. So um, yeah. let's jump in. I've got three. YA novels. Hmm. Guess what's it? That's what they're called now, not juveniles. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Now this one is from Macmillan Audio. This is called Death Cloud by Andrew Lane, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. The yeah. Legend Begins. Right. Um, think you know Sherlock Holmes? Think again. It is the summer of 1868, and Sherlock Holmes is 14. On break from boarding school, he is staying with elderly relatives in the country and expecting a tedious vacation. Instead, he finds himself in the midst of a shocking murder mystery. Two local men have died from symptoms resembling the plague. Soon it is clear that they have not died from natural causes. So. Is that, did that come out in um, an unabridged version? Because I, I posted about it when it came out in June or July of this uh, last year. Uh, is that an abridged version? Yeah, no, it's it's unabridged. Um, wow. Yeah, it says unabridged. Running time about seven hours, so it's not okay. a big book. It's got six CDs, read hmm. by Dan Wyman, and I actually started to listen to this the other day. And uh, oh. Dan Wyman's a great narrator. He's he's excellent. So um, yeah, I haven't got too far into it. I just kind of sampled it, but they must know, have it re-released neat. it because the original one was by uh, Dan Stevens. Only three CDs, only three hours. Oh. Wow, why would they do that? I wonder. Well, maybe maybe it's it was so good that they had good sales, and they thought, "Oh, we do better by releasing the unabridged version." <laughs> yeah. Well, there uh, it is. I, yeah. I prefer the unabridged. So. Oh, it also says on here the first teen series endorsed by the Conan Doyle estate. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that that does nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I read somebody was really excited about a post on some British website, maybe The Guardian or something, saying how they were going to um, authorize a new novel to be written uh, mm-hmm. in the Sherlock Holmes series. And I'm like, dude, 
Sherlock Holmes has been, you know, had thousands of novels written about him. Yeah, right? yeah, yep. Uh, because you put the the estate stamp on it, that doesn't make anything better. It's who wrote it and what it's about, right? Yeah. There's yeah. lots of James Bond novels, and you know, uh, putting an official stamp on it doesn't do anything unless it unless it happens to be good. Right. And that's that's coincidence. Hey, you know, um. I'm fairly sure that I got this from a, one of your posts, so maybe you can re- recall it. But we had a an audio from Paul Anderson, mm-hmm. and it was a lecture or an interview that he was doing, and he talked about Sherlock Holmes in that. Do you recall that? Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how most science fiction fans seem to like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, it sounds familiar, but that sounds old too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It was. I old. keep my my memory on on the website, so I just <laughs> have to do a search. All right, we'll have to search it out, and, and hopefully that's where I got it. But I can just remember that. Um, now I've got two books here that are part of a series called the Lighthouse Trilogy by mm-hmm. Adrian McKinty, both read by Gerard Doyle, and this is a YA series. It's called A Sci-Fi Adventure by some magazine called uh, Children's Literature. When Jamie's mother... Okay, I'm sorry. The first one is called The Lighthouse Land. Uh, When Jamie's mother inherits a small island and moves her little family from Harlem to Ireland, her troubled son sees a chance to start over, far away from the bullies and the pitying stares. Cancer has left Jamie without an arm or the will to speak. But Muck Island is no sanctuary, and it offers more than solitude and sea views. Jamie learns that he is heir to an ancient title, Laird of Muck, Guardian of the Passage, and certain other worldly responsibilities. With the help of a mysterious object he discovers in the island's old lighthouse, Jamie sets out on a dangerous interstellar mission that could change the course of his life and the universe forever. So, um... Laird the second one here is called The Lighthouse War. So I've got two of them here and there. Um, let's see. I'm looking for a length. It's, it says nine CDs, uh, 10 hours. Yeah. They're both about 10 hours long. Mm. So well, that's a series that I haven't is. heard of till now. No, I hadn't heard it either. Mm. So it's the kid, the kid has a missing arm. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. I think that would be actually, um, you know, if that, if that's just like a character with a missing arm, I think that that'd just be more interesting. Because usually, when you see people who are disabled in books, they're the villain mm-hmm. or the movie, you know. And I always think, well, that's stupid because there's tons of people out there who are disabled, right? Yeah. And they read books. You could, like, tap into that market and say, look, um, I want to read about a character who isn't a villain. I can grow <laughs> up to be something other than a villain. And if it's a YA, what's it say? Grade six to nine? Is that YA? Something like um, that. Yeah, and I I may be giving it that title myself. It, it's huh. uh, it, I'm you know it's evolved over the years. Now they have these middle grades, so they call them MG, I believe, and then YA. So I think MG is is younger. So, um, you know, it's all confusing to me now. I don't know I what think the Roll official ball would be a little before uh, YA. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, YA but it seems it seems to me that YA would be up to right? like uh, yeah. Protagonist. Right. Yep. So, this sounds sounds like a teen protagonist. Yep. It does to me too. Cool. Yep. Jared Jared Doyle. That sounds really familiar. 
as a narrator. He did uh, the Brissinger series that that uh, Christopher Paolini maybe. Oh, did he really? I think so. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yep. Whatever. Okay. Sounds it sounds good. I, I, so we got the first two. Is there? Yep. The first two. The third one must not be out yet. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. That now we have uh, book two in Edgar Rice Burroughs's uh, Barsoom series. Um, this is the first one I've seen with a little seal on it that says the inspiration for the upcoming major motion picture, John Carter of Mars. So this is The Gods of Mars, which is book two, read by Bill DeFries. Okay. Um, also from Blackstone. Um, the extraordinary story of John Carter, who returns to the Red Planet in search of his beloved, Dejah Thoris. John lands in the Valley Door, which is populated by vicious plant men, and discovers the lost sea of Corus guarded by the great white apes and the horrifying lions of Barsoom. It is here that he finds the Princess Thuvia, who is a captive of the Holy Therns, high priests who eat only the flesh of humans slain by their plant man. But this is the only the beginning of John Carter's adventures under the double moons of Mars before he fights his way back to his own people as the prince of the house of Tardos Mars. Isn't there only one guy on Mars? One human on Mars? Well, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that mean that they th- those uh, priests what is only the... get a meal once every time? <laughs> like, what is the, the what is the red race uh, called? Oh, I don't know. I have not read. Dejah Thoris is a, a member of that red race, and they're basically red they humans. She lays eggs, right? You know, I don't recall that, but oh, I sure could be right. I do believe she lays eggs. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that's not right, but I don't that's remember that. Her different from uh, from. Humans is, is instead of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, we should we should read that before the movie comes out. Yeah, we ought, to, we ought to do the first two. I think, you know, I'm not positive, but I believe that the first two books are the basis for the movie. Okay. Well, I should probably look that up to make sure. I, I, I got the comic book. I started reading the comic book, um, new adaptation from Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, no, it was okay to start. We'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I was a big fan of those. Oh, okay. you you've read them and you don't remember? Yeah, I mean, I read them as a you know preteen, okay. <laughs> long long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so I yeah, I, I remember you know general things you know, but I don't remember that she laid eggs. <laughs> I, I'm getting that from some other source than the actual book, you know. <laughs> okay. I haven't mm-hmm. All right. Okay, um, Valentine Pontifex by Robert yeah, yeah. Silverberg from the Majapur cycle. Um, we had one of these last time, so I'm not sure what number this is. Uh, it doesn't clearly say anywhere. I think it's three. Okay. The Extraordinary Story continues in this magnificent installment of the best-selling Majapur series begun in Lord Valentine's castle. Dark dreams disturb Lord Valentine's sleep, a forewarning of the danger that threatens the peace of Majapur. The shapeshifters have set in motion a terrifying plan to regain their stolen world and their allies. The ancient gods rising from their eons-long slumber beneath the oceans of the great planet. Suddenly, Valentine faces the greatest crisis of his reign. Either he must plunge Majapur into a bloody nightmare of war, plague, and chaos, or surrender his life to the mercy of the vengeful shapeshifters. 
So the that's the third book in the series. The second okay. book is called Magipur Chronicles. Okay. The first one is, I think, Lord Valentine's Castle. And, cool. Uh, did Julie do a review of Lord Valentine's yeah, Castle? Yeah, Julie did Lord Valentine's Castle, yeah. Okay. And I should mention that this is a multiple reader uh, read by various narrators. It says J. Paul Bamer, Hilary Huber, Don Leslie, and Stefan Rudnicki. Uh, Stefan Rudnicki did the first one by himself. Right, I'm pretty sure he did, yeah. All right. Cool. And now, okay, now this is an interesting one. This is a, I would call it a novella, uh, three hours long. It is Stonefather by Orson Scott Card, read by his daughter, Emily Janice Card, unabridged, three hours. And now I understood that this was kind of an introduction that he wrote to a new fantasy series he was writing. Um, but I don't have any information. I don't know what fantasy series. Like he has a brand new book out called The Lost Gate, and uh-huh. I do not know if these they're related. But The Lost Gate is the beginning of a new series, so I, I have no idea if it's the same one. I've got to read it. Well, to tell me about this one because okay. I, I heard uh, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy had Orson Scott Card on talking about about his Lost Gate. Uh, premise. Okay. So I should be able to connect them up. All right. When Runnel leaves his mountain valley to head for the great city of the water mages, he has no idea of his own magical talents. But soon, without meaning to, he complicates and endangers the lives of everyone he comes to know and care about. For when it comes to magic, there are rules and laws, and the untrained mage-to-be must be careful not to tap into the deep forces and ancient enemies. Otherwise, other people might end up paying the price for his mistakes. Now I've I've read this. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I think my son put a review of it on SFF Audio already. Oh, because um, I bought it from Subterranean Press, not the audiobook, mm-hmm. but the hard copy, mm-hmm. and then it came out on audio on Audible, and that yeah. was that was last year. So my son Chris, in fact, I think it was more than last year. It might have been two years ago, and then um, Chris uh, listened to the audio and did a review. Uh, yes, 2009. There it is. Okay. Danielson kid, age 14. Yeah. Who is now 16. Wow. Yep. I guess that makes sense. Two years, right? <laughs> yep. So, yeah, in this book, Runnell is, uh, you know, he leaves his home and he goes to this other city. And he's got these special talents, um, water talents, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know. Water bending, you know. I don't know if you've seen Airbender. I mean, I haven't seen the movie. A but while the, for it to come out. Yeah, on hard copy. I'm not sure why. Uh, that's why I'm wondering if it's somehow connected to the Lost Gate. That makes sense. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Maybe it's loosely connected, or may, maybe not. I don't know. But that was oh, my understanding when it came out. Is that it's so short? I love that it's so short. Yeah, and it's very good. Yeah, I love that it's short too. Yep. But anyway, it's very worthwhile. I recommend it. Great. Okay, now here's one from a series that I don't recall us ever talking about. Um, you know, and this may be a YA novel too, because R.L. Stein, who wrote the Goosebumps series, uh-huh. he has a blurb here on the cover. Um, this is called Timescape, which is Dreamhouse Kings Book 4 by Robert Liparulo, read by Joshua Swanson. And it's a Blackstone audiobook. So, let me see what we've got here. David, Xander, and Toria King never knew what new adventures and dangers await them beyond the mysterious portals 
hidden on the top floor of their new house. They have battled gladiators and the German army, dodged soldiers on both sides of the Civil War, and barely escaped a fierce attack in their own home. Still, they are no closer to finding their mother, who was pulled by powerful forces through a portal and lost in time. Their only hope is to turn the tables on the Taxidian, the menacing stranger who wants them out of the house so he can use it for his own twisted purposes. But everything changes when a trip into the near future reveals the devastating outcome of Taxidian's schemes, a destroyed city filled with mutant creatures. It is only then that the kings realize what they're really fighting for, the fate of humanity itself. So yeah, I'd call so, that a part YA. Of the series. Yeah, and I'd call that a YA book because you've yep. got teen protagonists. Yeah, protagonists, right? yep. 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 Um, the parents in trouble is sort of a trope that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, most of them books. most of them have parents out of the way in some way or another. You know, whether they've been captured, you know, like in The Lightning Thief, uh, yep. the the mom gets captured, mm-hmm. um, the dad is non-existent. Yeah, they're always uh, swept out of the way somehow. I remember there was a book, I think I reviewed it in the summer, um, from, from Belinda Audio, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh, uh, yeah. You know the one I mean? I do. Dark, uh, dark, uh, shoot. That's it. It's dark something. Yeah. It is not coming up because I don't know the name of it. Um, it was a uh, Neil Gaiman-esque. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, it's set in London and it had a, it had a protagonist whose father was, um, uh, basically in a coma and he sends him off to live in the, you know, dark, uh, it's called Dark Side. That's what it's called. Ah, okay. <laughs> dark Side of London. You just have to work it through there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if I can bring it up. Um, and that that one, you know, his mom. I think his mom was dead, and his his um, his dad was put in a coma, and he's got something kind of like malaria, which is caused by magic. And um, it was it was interesting. Yeah. It, it, it sort of plays into the tropes, and I think it's it's a good book for kids who want to see you know kids empowered and you know it's like uh the graveyard book is a ya book it, it, only in the sense that its kid eventually will become a teenager but mm-hmm. it it feels so uh, iconic i mean if if you have to choose go for graveyard book and then sp- spread out to mm-hmm. dark side i would say i think that's yeah. what i said in my review good after yeah. reading that. graveyard yeah, book is sort of excellent. excellent amazing stuff yep, yep. All right. <clears throat> now a piece of real hard science fiction. Oh. Um, this is Ben Bova, Venus, read by Stefan Rudnicki. Now, I looked this up. I did review Venus long, long time ago on the website, um, but it was an abridged version. So this one is unabridged, which is great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, it's the story of there's a, an old man whose son apparently went to I don't I don't recall the details on why the son died but the son died and is on Venus. You know, Venus hasn't been terraformed or anything, so he could have crash landed on Venus or whatever. But he's got billions and billions of dollars and he's really kind of a jerk and he he has another son who he doesn't like very much and he decides that he's going to give 10 billion dollars, 10 billion dollars to <laughs> whoever will go retrieve the remains of his son on Venus. 
So that starts this little race to Venus. It's an X Prize. Yep, exactly. So that starts this little race to Venus, and um, the other son who is not liked heads one of the teams that's going after the money, partly because uh, one of the ways that this rich dude funded his prize is by cutting his other son off. <laughs> mm. Yep, so... Um, so it's uh, getting revenge and and sticking it to dad. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I, I like these books, his Grand Tour books. Your I really came like them. Out in 2004. 2004, okay. Almost and that, that book is much older than that too. Not quite. Not quite. I'm pretty yeah, sure 2002 that 2002 it came out from Fantastic Audio. Okay, yeah. It seemed to me um, that it how was long old. is this one? The new one. It is uh, 11 and a half hours. Okay, so. They really abridged it because it, the old one was about six hours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, about half. Yeah, it's 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 great that they can do that. You know, go mm-hmm. and find a find a book that's um, languishing, un yeah. unrepublished. Well, yeah, Bova's Grand Tour books. You know, I assume that they're popular because they keep putting them out. But he's got a new one coming out. Uh, something Grand Something Jupiter or something like you know I can't recall the title because he's already got one called Jupiter. But the new one that's coming out has something to do with Jupiter. And um, hmm. there's only a few of them that they abridged. And I think, you know, now that I think about it, Jupiter may have been one of them that was abridged. Um, so maybe they'll redo that one as well. I Was it, uh, <laughs> maybe I was watching that new Nova series by um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was... Maybe it wasn't that. Uh, he did one on Mars, how to how to get to Mars, and it was sort of stuff I'd seen before. But yeah, it must have been a different program on Jupiter, and they were saying um, basically there's no chance of living on the moons of Jupiter unless you can develop some sort of extreme uh, shield for all the radiation that comes out of Jupiter is is way too strong for. Well, you just you, you get a prefab home. You cook. Throw it on the trailer. Yep, and you and you drag it to Jupiter. That's what I do. You, you wouldn't be able to leave the home, though. Oh, all right. Uh, it, it the the magnetic field of Jupiter is is sure. Yeah, you bet. Active, you bet. and so yep. the the only thing that could make life possible on what is it? The one uh, not Callisto, the other one, the far one out, Ganymede. Mm-hmm. No, Ganymede. What's the white one? Europa. Europa. Europa is ice. Yeah, the, yes. Yeah, and it keeps, you know, there's all these cracks on it because the gravity keeps breaking the ice and then it freezes yeah, and breaks and freezes and breaks and freezes. So uh, the only thing that could allow life to live there, other than life that can absorb a ton of radiation, is uh, is the the ice has to be thick enough to, to shield them mm-hmm. from all the radiation that's coming off of Jupiter. Hmm, interesting. It'd, it'd be like living next to the sun, really. Yeah. Uh, it's just not doable, but um, I still I still like that Heinlein book set on Ganymede. I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. Cool, <laughs> even though it's impossible. All I right. like. Okay, well, next up, Brilliance Audio, uh, another stainless steel rat book, Great. and this one is a prequel, book six. In this prequel to the stainless steel rat, Slippery Jim is a brash seventeen-year-old who has left his parents' porcuswine farm. Planning to embark on a life of crime. The book opens. It's a YA. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> the book opens with Jim bungling a bank job so that he can be arrested and sent to prison, where he plans to learn the art of being a master criminal. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. Phil Phil Giganti is the narrator, and that's from Brilliance Audio. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying that series. Good. Really enjoying it. Fantastic. All right, now here's a uh, thick book from Brilliance. Andre Norton and Mercedes Lackey, The Elven Bane, performed by Ansi Vigisa. Boy, I murdered her name. A-A-S-N-E is her first name. And I'm assuming it's a her. I'm saying that, but I don't know for sure. And the last name is uh, Vigisa, V-I-G-E-S-A-A. Oh, it is a girl. She's on the back. Uh, Asne Vigisa. <laughs> okay. Uh, it sounds like an acronym for something. Hmm. No, no. What, what's the one with it's mixed up letters? That's not an acronym. Oh, a palindrome? Palindrome? Is that what it is? Is that what that? No, is that the same backwards and forwards? Oh, uh, yeah. I think you're right. Well, yeah. it's probably a real name. It's probably <laughs> just a real name. All right. Um, so this is Andre Norton and Mercedes Lackey. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, would that be... I, Andre Norton... Uh, it's, it's possible. When did the book... What's the copyright on that? Um, looking, looking. 1991. So the yeah, Brilliant alive. Audio was 2010, and the Andre Norton uh, has the copyright on the book. So it says, Two masters of epic fantasy have combined in this brilliant collaboration to create a rousing tale of the sort that becomes an instant favorite. This is the story of Shana, a half-breed born of the forbidden union of an elven lord father with a human mother. Her exiled mother dead, she was rescued and raised by dragons, a proud ancient race who existed unbeknownst to elven or humankind. From birth, Shauna was the embodiment of the prophecy that all powerful elven lords feared. Her destiny is the enthralling adventure of a lifetime. So that really didn't give us a lot of information, did it? Uh, it there's... sounds like the first book in a series, though. Yeah, it sure does. It's called The Half-Blood Chronicles. Other than, you know, book seven or something. Yeah. So there's dragons, there's elves, there's uh, proud ancient races. Yeah, there's just really no plot information. So, yep. Forbidden Uh, Union. Okay. It's got uh, 68 reviews and four and a half stars on, on... Amazon, so it's that's a good thing about a book that's been out for a while. You can sort of see it; it has a following. Mm-hmm. It has a following. Yep. Okay. Um, now I've got book three of the Baroque Cycle by Neil Stevenson. Uh huh. Odalisk. 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 Odal. It's I. O d a l i s q u e. Odalisk. Odalisk. That's what I think. Uh, includes right. an ex- exclusive introduction read by the author, uh, performed by Simon Preble, Catherine Kelgren, and Kevin Parisot. The trials of Daniel, Dr. Daniel Waterhouse and the natural philosophers increase 100-fold in an England plagued by the impending war and royal insecurities, as the beautiful and ambitious Eliza plays a most dangerous game as a double agent and confidant of enemy kings. So, um, Odalisk, O-D-A-L-I-S-Q-U-E, is a Turkish female slave. That's where the word hmm. comes from. Interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, it, oh, it says, etymology. The word Odalisk, Odalisk is French in form and originates from the Turkish Odalik, meaning ah, chambermaid, or Oda, chamber, room. Also be transliterated. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he's... he's uh, you know, he's kind of like 
uh, Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. He likes to reward the reader by, you know, showing, you know, filling it with illusions. I think Alan Moore just he likes to show all the stuff he's read and put it in the story and make it as a little treat and reward for people who are who are paying attention. Now, Alan uh, Moore is the extraordinary gentleman guy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the Watchmen and also as Watchmen well. Watchmen as well, yeah. but. Um, especially in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it's just so full of references to books and like even the panels that you know are showing a bookshop or a museum or something. There's you know references galore. You know you could probably pick up any any of those and find ten references to Poe alone. You mm-hmm. know just in the background or uh, Sherlock Holmes or whatever it is. It's it's uh, it's very rewarding if you've if you've read a lot, and I gotcha. think that's probably true of of um, Stephenson. But I actually haven't read any, mm-hmm. which is maybe a problem. I should probably get started on that. Yeah. Yep, I haven't read these, but um, Snow Crash and The Diamond Age really liked both those books. I haven't read either of those yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, they continue to when uh, and they by they I mean Brilliance Audio. Um, David Weber's Honor Harrington series appeared on Audible, and they're continuing to make hard copies uh, at Brilliance. Mm-hmm. And this is book number six, Honor Among Enemies, by David Weber. Book six in the Honor Harrington series. For Captain Honor Harrington, it's sometimes hard to know who the enemy really is. Despite political foes, professional jealousies, and the scandal that drove her into exile... She's been offered a chance to reclaim her career as an officer of the Royal Manticoran Navy. But there's a catch. She must assume command of a squadron of jury-rigged armed merchantmen with a crew drawn from the dregs of her service and somehow stop the pirates who have taken advantage of the Haven White War to plunder the Star Kingdom's commerce. You know what a manticore is? I don't. Sounds like some kind of a sea creature. Uh, it's kind of like a sphinx. Mm. Kind of, it's one of those. Does it swim under? Creatures. Does it swim at all? No, it's Dang. it's a terrestrial right. animal. So I'm but, uh, Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's see what it says here. Um, it has the body of a red lion, a human head with three rows of sharp teeth, like a shark. All right, there's there's your. Oh, see, I was there. I was totally right a tr- there. <laughs> a trumpet-like voice. Um, other aspects of the creature vary from story to story. It may be horned, winged. Or both. Tail is either that of a dragon or a scorpion, and it may shoot poisonous spines to either paralyze or kill its victims. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, there's there's a lot of creatures that sort of uh, mix and match. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, some of the Egyptian gods have uh, I don't know bird heads or something like that. But uh, it's there's there's probably some sort of um, Reason why that those those creatures sort of turn up now and again in the in that area. I'm not sure what that is, but I'd like to know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sphinx. A sphinx is an interesting interesting one in, in itself. Yep. Okay. Um, I have one more is all, and came in in hard copy anyway. Um, a new L. Ron Hubbard, one of their um, stories from the Golden Age. 
Mm-hmm. This one's called On Blazing Wings, a multicast performance, unabridged. Um, American David Duane long ago gave up his dream at being a professional artist. Instead, there's something else he's good at, something that countries will pay good money for. His services as an ace fighter pilot on sale to any country whose business is war, regardless of its politics. Dwayne's cold-edge neutrality takes him to Finland, combating Russian communists bent on destroying his supply base, or a supply base. After leading multiple attacks against the Russians and pushing them further and further back, his luck runs out when his plane is shot down. Instead of crashing in flames, Dwayne finds himself in an exclusive netherworld, a mystery-enshrouded city of luxury and golden minarets. There, Dwayne discovers his true destiny, one that he half-remembers but must struggle to reject in order to save the woman he loves, a woman who happens to be an officer in the Russian ranks. And that's it. So, not science fiction. (laughs) No, actually not. Yep. Well, um... Uh, there's a guy on SF site who who reviews all of those, and I think I reviewed one um, a while back. It's it's pulp. It's it's really really pulpy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh right, the paper books. I yeah. forgot. I forgot those paper too. Books. Yeah. Um, I well, tried to do that without. I'll have to edit that out, I guess. No, I'll just leave it in. <laughs> Go get those books. Go get those books for me, please. They're really good. <laughs> oh shoot! Is that yeah. your uh, your Turkish uh, <laughs> chambermaid? <laughs> That's right. That is my lovely daughter, Alexandra. Thank you so much, sweetie. Okay, yeah, paper books. We've got two paper, paper books. books in. So um, we 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 had a discussion about what we're going to do about all these paper books before sending us. Right. No, it was just surprising. You know, it's just like you know, I have a mountain of paper books here. Uh, Anyway, how how many? How many in this mountain? Uh, There's no, no. This is this is not a mountain. This is uh, just a trickle. I've got two. Okay. Um, One of them is an advanced reading copy of a book called *The Unremembered* by Peter Arulian. It's a an epic fantasy. Um, the gods, makers of worlds, seek to create balance between matter and energy and between mortals who strive toward the transcendent and the natural perils they must tame or overcome. But one of the gods fashions in a world filled with hellish creatures far too powerful to allow balance. He is condemned to live for eternity with his most hateful creations in that world's distant born, restrained by a magical veil kept vital by the power of song. So that says a lot in there right now. <laughs> um, anyway, it goes on. Um, but, yep, so we, we received this. Peter okay. Aurelian. So this is uh, a book that has not been released yet. Really? Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking at a, a blog post about somebody's uh, talking about this book. Um, it's, it says, um, there's a, is, is your copy got a big, I don't know, a dude with a, a bow? Yep. It does. Okay. Yeah, it's a very All nice right. cover. Very yeah. nice. And there's a quote from Ann Perry on the top. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so this is um, a paper book. A paper book. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, how do we get on that list? I really don't know how it happened, but um, yeah. It's cool, though. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. Hand it off to somebody. Maybe they'll, they'll okay. read it. Yeah, I will. 
Will and there do. should be an audiobook. And I, and I read paper books. I mean, don't get me wrong. I read paper me books. Too. But, uh, yep, I don't read a lot of epic fantasy. Um, and this this other book, now this one is a, is a hardcover, looks ready for publication. So I don't know if it's out yet. But this one is called The Desert of Souls. And by Her- Howard Andrew Jones. And it looks kind of like an Aladdin type of a fantasy. Um, let's see if I can find a description. i got to go to the inside cover here. In 8th century Baghdad, a stranger pleads with the vizier to safeguard the bejeweled tablet he carries. But he is murdered before he can explain. Charged with solving the puzzle, the scholar De Beer soon realizes that the tablet may unlock secrets hidden within the lost city of Ubar, the Atlantis of the Sands. When the tablet is stolen from his care, Dabir and Captain Asim are sent after it and into a life-and-death chase through the ancient Middle East. So, it goes on from there, but I'll stop. There's a, uh, a review of it on the Fantasy Book Critic blog. Mm-hmm. And um, just at the conclusion, it says, Howard Andrew Jones' debut novel may utilize a number of recognizable ideas from the likes of Robert E. Howard, 1001 Nights, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, but blended together. The Desert Soul offers a fantasy experience. Uh, sorry, but blended together, the Desert of Souls offers a fantasy experience that is fresh, fun, and absolutely riveting. Mm-hmm. Best of all, the Desert of Souls is only the beginning of Debir and Captain Asim's remarkable adventures together. I can only hope that there will be many more adventures yet to come. Yep. Um, so positive, positive. Yeah, yeah, yep, and, for sure. Uh, you know, I think. So it's making it sound like blending together a bunch of stuff is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, well, dude, that's that's like the only thing that people do. Yeah, right? that is that's they, what you do, right? <laughs> all you can do is, I mean, when when people try not to do that, mm-hmm. they end up with uh, unpronounceable character names, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely unpronounceable character names, right? And the people who the people who who do it in the way that you think they didn't do it, they're just doing it better. They're just doing it better. So, uh, you know, um, Tolkien has a lot of good naming systems in his his uh, his uh, books, right? Mm-hmm. But that's that's because he's a, a linguist and he he develops a, a language based on how languages actually work, and he's not, you know creating it out of nothing he's creating out of something so there's definitely you know there's no reason to to say something's you know lesser because it's derivative because guess what everything's derivative yeah now, everything if is it's right. a it's a if it's a bad photocopy and the person hasn't thought it through then of course it can be terrible mm-hmm. but yep. you cannot you cannot say something's no good because it's it's uh remixing something else because that's what everything does i I, i've been uh reading a lot of philip kiddick's short stories of late and uh it's if you if you read his his really early stuff he just tells you where he's getting this stuff from like uh the uh odyssey he he was really deeply into the odyssey at one point and so a bunch of the stories just have little scenes or or exactly the same scene inspired a short story there's a couple of um uh, stories I can think of one called Strange Eden, uh, another one Beyond Lies the Wub. Those two stories are they're just the story of Odysseus and Circe um, remixed and set in a science fiction setting or quasi science fiction setting. And then he adds in you know his own his own take on it, and he he does that 
dozens of times over, and there's uh, you can't fault him at all. So mm-hmm. it's right. great stuff. It, it could very well be a good book. All right. You might ha- you might sh- you might consider sending that one up me- up to me. Uh, which one? There's re- the Desert of one. Souls. Desert of Souls. Yeah. Oh, sure, I will. You bet. Okay. Cool. Yep. Will do. Um, yeah, I've got. We've got to put together a box for you. Okay. Yep. Um, speaking of paper books, mm-hmm. um, uh, a little bird told me, I think on Goodreads, that you didn't like Why the Last Man. I just finished the whole series. You didn't like the first book. Oh no, no, I did. I did actually did not. Yeah. Why? That's right. Um, I, you know, I thought it was really interesting right up until you know the everything ha- everything occurred. You know that where the men started to die and everything, mm-hmm. and then it just got ridiculous. I thought. Um, you know, and may- maybe I would need to read further or something, but, to, you know, I, th- I thought it was uh, derogatory toward women. Um, I, I mm. felt that they, they took these stereotypical little blocks and, and put people in, you know, they, they made these little groups of women. And um, anyway, it was, it was, to me, like it, was, it, was, it was laughably, I, I, <laughs> I didn't connect with it at all. It was just like, really? this is laughable, yeah. It's, you know, well, I think, I think the, moment, the moment... The moment where I uh, completely turned on it, you know, because up up to that point I was like, "What?" you know, and then when the the group of Republican women stormed the White House with their guns, I was like, "That you know, come on, come on," you know, it just lost all credibility for me. But up to that point, up to the point where everything was happening, I was really interested, and then it just got cartoonish to me. Um. Well, you know, not a, not solely be, not solely because of that moment. I'm just saying that was the tipping point. You know, up to that point, you know, with all the little groups of women that they were dealing with, I just, I was just, I don't know. It, are, d- it just didn't some, work for me. But I, I know a lot of people really like it. Bits in it, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I just you know, so the Republican women thing, um, it didn't seem completely implausible to me. I I, I well, think when when you've got a uh, well, what, what about if it's these are the other these one? are the the crazy wives of Republican uh, congressmen? Is what they were. Well, everybody yeah. was crazed though because everybody was uh, you know half the population just suddenly died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I I, I hear you, and that makes that makes that makes sense to me. That, uh, but yeah, I I fin- just finished the series after ten mm-hmm. volumes. And, um, and you you liked it? Pays off. Yeah, it pays mm-hmm. off. It's it's uh, that's good. It's poignant. I think is the okay. Well, that, that I guess I was expecting poignancy, but I felt it was cartoonish and and stereotypical and a, and a bit derogatory, not only towards Republican women, but just women. You know, I, I you know maybe later you know like in that discussion you guys had on Gulliver's Travels. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can understand that maybe he's the author is using extremes to make a point, and the points are made later, maybe. Um, uh, but that, that's a possibility. But in that first book, I, I just thought, you know, really, people are loving this. I'm, I was surprised. Uh, yeah, ninety-seven reviews on Amazon, four four and a half stars. So, uh, yeah, an aggregate of people seem to. Seem to dig it. Sure. Yeah. But let's see what the, the one-star reviews people have to say. Overrated. Where are you at? Condescending. I'm on Amazon. Amazon, okay. Yeah, Amazon's uh, reviews for it. 
and uh, can be condescending, infuriating, weak plot, pop culture references. There's lots of pop culture references, that's true. Yeah, but there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with pop culture references. <laughs> uh, well, it can be, you know. Well, if, Stephen, if Stephen King did, does a lot of that, and he's fine. <laughs> well, no, but it, it can be, you know, especially if they're transitory. Like, mm -hmm. uh, let's assume Lady Gaga is here to stay for a while, right? Uh, let's assume that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm sure there are other almost as well-known musicians or something that will be totally forgotten in six months, right? Yeah. Uh, that, are, that are in the public eye right now. That will not hold up. I see, uh, I see. Right? Well, it, it, it dates a book, but dating a book is not always bad. No, not yeah. always, but mm -hmm. it, it, can, it can be a problem. So, yeah, there are, uh, there are a number of people who disliked it. Um, but there, there's, a, there's a sequence involving um, uh, women who are trying to hunt down all last vestiges of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they're called Amazons, and they've got a you know, uh, t tyrannical leader, and uh, it's extreme. But on the other hand, um, I always say, you know, if, if, uh, if it's an unprecedented event, you don't know what's going to happen after that. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it doesn't go the way you would think it would go, in the sense that, if you killed off, uh, if if someone else killed off all but one man, um, and left all the women, you would think the guy's going to go around uh, and have his pick of millions of women. That's just what teenage boys think, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, that's not what this book is about, and it's 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 basically a disaster book, um, but also a quest and a bunch of other stuff. And 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 the main character is not. Uh, his main ability is the ability to escape situations rather than to fight his way out of them. Yeah. So yeah. it's it, it does a little things a little bit differently, and I I, I really appreciated that I was always being surprised by it. Hmm. Now that is not yeah. to say uh, you need to pick up the next one or anything like that, but gotcha. Um, I, I I just sometimes worry that uh, that uh, like like an article that I pointed you to the other day was saying. Um, the medium can be ruined by people not finding access to it. So if you go into the comic book store right now, you see a ton of superhero books, right? Mm -hmm. Well, superhero books are crappy. There's very few superhero books that I, I could imagine myself reading because they're just, they're really crappy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of other stuff out there. Like I'm, I'm trying to track down a copy of a, a book called Scalped, which I've heard very good things about. Um, it's sort of a crime book as far as i've heard but there's there's war ones and there's all sorts of different you know historical or uh like last year i got that that um that one on bertrand russell mm -hmm. um and uh, philosophy and math and all that yeah, stuff yeah. and that was it was an amazing book um gotta keep gotta keep trying to find you uh, a good comic because i i think you'll take them we can mm -hmm. just find the right one for you. <laughs> well, I sure like, um, like I said, Neil Gaiman. Um, yeah. So it's not a medium that's completely lost on me. Um, but uh, yeah, but try, it's not. Try. It's not something that I go out and look for in any way. And you know, by the same author, uh, Brian K. Vaughn. Try a really great book that I I got started on Brian K. Vaughn with is called Pride of Baghdad. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe I mentioned it to you before. Oh, yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, you did. It's uh, based on a true story, and it's mm-hmm. anthropomorphic fiction, and it has uh, talking lions. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, so I'll uh, see if, what I can find. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's not an ongoing series. It's a limited series in, mm-hmm. in a hardcover or softcover. Mm-hmm. Try and grab that and see, okay. see if you dig it, because I, 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 th- I found it very moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you mentioned, or we talked before the podcast a little bit about short stories. And I was hmm. just mentioning how I was kind of getting back into them again. You know, I kind of yeah. go in these waves. And uh, something that I've been looking at lately is um, James Tiptree. James yep. Tiptree Jr. I just got a book um, called Her Smoke Rose Forever. Is that what that's called? I don't know that one. Hold on just but a second. I do know here. about Alice Shelton, a.k.a. James there it is. It's called Her Smoke Rose Up Forever, James Tiptree Jr. It's a collection of, I don't know that it's everything she ever wrote, but um, it's a really nice collection of her stories. And um, the mentioning of why The Last Man reminds me of the screw fly solution. Right. Yeah, and I just watched on Netflix um, streaming, I watched the Joe Dante directed mm-hmm. uh Masters of Horror version of it's it. It's a science fiction uh, episode of a horror show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, they it did was, it for it horror. Was, they did it as a horror story, yeah. So for those not familiar what it's about, um, there's a, I guess it would be a virus or some type of something that is dropped by an alien race to exterminate um, the human species. And... The way that they do it is very much how they would exterminate um, screw flies. You know, humans would do it by interrupting the mating cycle um, of the screw flies so that they couldn't mate and eventually they just all die out. Well, That's right. They die off in a generation. Yeah. So the idea in this story is that the aliens just uh, drop some stuff that would uh, make males extremely violent and... Um, thus ending the end, the human race because there mm-hmm. would be no more reproduction. And um, anyway, that just remi- it reminded me of it because I was just looking at that just the other day and I was going to write something on my blog about it. Um, but there's no audio version that I can find. No, I don't think there is. Yeah, which is right. too bad. I mean, James Tiptree writes great, great stuff, but I don't know there's any of her stuff on audio. And I don't very know, little. I don't know very, why there is. Little. Is there any? Uh, not in print, I would guess. Um, okay. there, I think Dove Audio did some collections that may have included one or two I see. of her stories but yeah yeah um it kind of it maybe it's maybe it's the estate or the the uh agents after an author dies they're, they're there's a great variability in whether they're going to be uh, still in print yeah and i hear just bits here and there that um Isaac Asimov's estate is one that uh, really keeps a tight grip on that stuff and you know, boy, I'd sure like to see a, some of his short fiction. You know, there, there's some out there. He he was, you know, there was no, a, there not, was there no, was it's not much short fiction. that's... well, not I mean, when when he was alive, sure. I've got one called you know Isaac Asimov reads five stories, and yep. he would do um, his collections. There was something about you know, there's a complete robot from Walden Books or Walden Tapes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was he was actively doing well, that stuff. Thousands uh, back when he was alive. Right, that's what I'm saying. He was very it, active when he was alive and doing audio. Yeah. And then um, after his death, they, there just doesn't seem to be any. You know, and a, a nice best of collection of Isaac Asimov would be terrific. Well, there there's sort of this phenomenon where 
the authors are interested in writing and books, and the estates are interested in movies, right? Mm. They're interested in movies because that's where the money is. The authors are interested in books because that's what they've chosen, right? Right, right. So whether they pick up the the books or not is is probably dependent on whether they think they can sell them or not, rather than than whether they love them. Because yeah. it, it even though it, it we we talk about it being a marketplace and you know how the demand of the market will create uh, the incentive for people to sell things, that's not actually how it works on the on the little details. The little details is if you really want to be a writer, you can get published. You mm-hmm. just have to push really hard, right? You have to have not just the 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 talent, but also the drive. Mm-hmm. And that's not <laughs> that's 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 not what we hear. And so if you try and make a market-based solution to everything, you're going to, you know, not be able to explain a lot of the phenomenon. So in the nitty-gritty details, if Isaac Asimov was still alive, there would be a lot more Isaac Asimov audiobooks, I would guess. Yeah, I think so. And there are some, you know, I'm not saying that there's none. Um, For example, uh, Escape Pod's 100th episode is Nightfall by Isaac Asimov. And um, they've recently... Which is not the best science fiction story ever, by the way. (laughs) Right. And they've recently republished, um, read by Scott Brick, they did the Foundation Trilogy. And I wish that they'd uh, go ahead and finish that series. And then Bill DeFries uh, with uh, Tantor, right? Tantor did the robot novels? Or just the yep. first two? They, did they do no, Robots of Dawn? Yep. Okay, Robots so they did Robots of Dawn. Of Dawn. See, yep. that's something I want to listen to as well. So you've got uh, six books anyway out there by Asimov. And um, No, there's more. There, I, I think, oh no, that's Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke's got sort of a, a revival on Audible recently. So. Yeah, they did. Um, in fact, I'm, I've got to go ahead and finish The Fountains of Paradise. Is one That's a book that I've never read that's uh, won a Hugo Award. That um, when I saw it out there on Audible, I said, "Oh yeah, that's great." So I've got to go ahead and finish that. Well, um, uh, wasn't there a uh, a couple of Audible titles you wanted to mention uh, as new? Releases? Oh yeah, one of them that really struck me was Dream Park by Dream Park. Larry Niven and Stephen mm-hmm. Barnes, uh, read by Stefan Rudnicki, and um, that is one that's you know from my teenage years that I, I really liked, and it's about. Um, live action role play, really, but high I tech. I'll read high... along. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a live action role play novel uh, that's also a murder mystery. So, what you've got is a gaming system in which people basically they buy their tickets, you know, and they come in in a group in some kind of a Dungeons and Dragons type situation, and they fight holograms and you know they they sleep there, you know, uh, they're there for a few days, you know. And um, anyway, there's a dungeon master who runs the whole thing, and you have battles. Uh, there's sometimes live actors, sometimes holograms, um, and of course, someone gets killed uh, during it, and so it's kind of a mystery as well. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's a good read along. So yeah, it's fun. It's how a fun, far in fun the future book. should we schedule this? Um, Heck, I don't know. When, months, what are we, when are we doing? Uh, we're doing on Stranger Tides in about two weeks, three weeks. Uh, in two weeks from now, I think that's right. Okay, it's on the schedule, anyways. Yeah. All right. Um, well, my and my then next brainwave. Brainwave was the other oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking, and I've got that. We haven't got a copy of that. I've got yet, the paperback in. 
I, I okay. got a paperback because I love the cover. And, you know, on paperback swap, I have credits. So, you know, you just look on there and you're like, oh, cool, I'd like to see that. So you have it come in and it's a Del Rey. You know, Del Rey, all the, what, in the 70s and 80s? You know, I mean, their covers were just cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I've got that. It's got kind of a an ape yeah, riding on a... You've been posting a bunch of covers too. Yeah, I, I put a covers on my Google account. Um. Yeah, what is that called? Uh, we can awesome. throw it. We can throw a link to it. Okay. What well, I can't remember what the the photo link is, or oh. th- there's a program inside Google. Um. Anyway, I can't recall. But anyway, we can put a link on it and just uh, put some covers out there. And um, it looks like the narrator of um, uh, Brainwave is is Tom Weiner. So. Oh, good. Uh, it should Great. be good, and it's only six hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, up on Audible as well, so it should be coming in uh, hard copy at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that that might be a good good one for After Stranger Tides. And then uh, we did a Larry Niven one not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you manage to finish that? Um, remind me which one we did. It was Oath of Fealty. Oh, yeah. I've, I was in the podcast. Yeah, okay. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, which one did I not finish? I don't know. I don't <laughs> yep, know. I, that was I, I it. Thought. Yeah. No, it was you and I on that one. Okay. Yep. It was only you and I? Really? Yep, that was it. Yep. Wow. I don't, I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. Bad memory. <laughs> um, so, well, good. Yeah. On Stranger Tides, I'm looking forward to talking about that because it appears that I was incorrect. Um, about what? I think that I mentioned in a podcast that I felt that it would be kind of a prequel. And I think I'm wrong about that. Um, it was one way they could have gone with the story, but I'm starting to guess that this is the movie on Stranger Tides is going to be very loosely based on this book. I would guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have no. Uh, I I stopped watching after the first movie. I thought. It was oh hard. man, I I love those movies. Absolutely love them. Even I mean, it, the the second two turned into a real mess of storytelling. Um, if if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, they, they talk about how the the writers of the script were bringing stuff, you know, on the day of. They they weren't ready, <laughs> you know. So I really wish that they had cleaned up the storytelling. But um, it's still, I just love them, absolutely love them. Uh, the the first one I th- is well, I don't think I know. The first one is still my favorite. The first one is just one of those movies that just hit perfectly i mean it just came out perfectly very very well done and then the second one you know a little bit less but still fun and the third one was just chaotic uh in the storytelling but still it was fun you know um but like i say chaotic is there such a thing as uh talented movie watchers <laughs> i think there Could probably be. is but they're, well they're making they they're making that. a number four and um hopefully they have taken time to actually write the script before they go to filming it so um yeah just hope so this has been the sff audio podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com